I'm Luka Doncic and this is Locked On Mavericks Podcast. This is gonna be huge. 360 in the contract, never that. I just take the contact, I bring it back. I'm running on the fast break behind the back. Yeah, this that, this that, this that. Dirk with the back. What up, what up? You are locked on the Dallas Mavericks. This is Isaac, your co-host of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. I'm a writer at Mavs.com. I am not joined by my co-host, Nick Angstead, uh, from the Free Dawkins YouTube channel. This is uh, a week in which Nick is still on vacation. He'll be on vacation for a while, taking a break from from the pod. So uh, it's just me manning the Locked On Mavs daily Mavericks podcast uh, for this entire week and then uh possibly i guess a few days next week too i think um but i have a guest i have a friend the next two days uh, today and tomorrow uh, i replace nick with the great tim cato from the athletic not sb nation the athletic uh i met tim i guess man i don't know i guess three or four years ago when i first started uh covering the Mavericks. I'd lived in Dallas for about a year, I guess, maybe two years, and uh, just started covering the Mavs. Uh, Met Tim at one of my first Mavs games, and uh, Tim was writing for Mavs Moneyball at the time and for SB Nation, and uh, it's kind of, uh, yeah, crazy to see where, um, where he's gone over the past couple of years now, and he went from there to being a full-time writer, a league writer for SB Nation, and going from that uh, to The Athletic over this past year uh, has been a big move for him and uh, super pumped for him. Tim's a great guy, and uh, he's one of the few people and why I reached out to him, uh, not just because he's uh, really good at his job and he's a good guy, but he's one of the only few people that cover the Mavs on a full-time beat role. And you'll see in our talk, uh, I share with him my frustration that uh, a lot of people want to say they are beat writers for teams, and that just simply isn't the case because beat writers, you got to be on the heartbeat of the team and you got to travel to these games. You got to, uh, beat writers are at the away games, they're at every single practice, they're at all the home games, they're at everything. And there's only, you know, with the way media and coverage is nowadays, there's only so many of them. And you know, the Mavericks used to have, have more of them. Uh, even since the time I've been covering the Mavs, we've seen people transition out of their roles, like the staples of Dwayne Price and Eddie Sefko and those guys. And now we just have a couple of those guys left. And Tim Cato at The Athletic and Brad Townsend at the Dallas Morning News is is on that. And so there's only a handful of those guys that's on the full-time beat. Tim's one of those guys. So I reached out to him and said, hey, let's uh, – which be willing to do a pod. Uh, it was an awesome conversation. We talked about so much different stuff. And so we broke into two parts. So you'll get part one today, and then you'll obviously get part two tomorrow. Uh, today, we focus a little bit more on Tim's life. We talk, we talk about his transition to the athletic, what that has looked like, um, what was appealing about the athletic. We've all in the sports world seen the kind of rise of this uh, sports uh, coverage uh, entity, this uh, massive giant in the athletic that's grown to what it's become over the past uh, couple of years. And uh, I've really um, 
Uh, I really enjoy the coverage. I'm a subscriber. I love all of it. And uh, over the, I even mentioned this in our conversation, but in picking our English Premier League team, Nick and I have been uh, joking and talking about that on the podcast over the past week or so. And uh, in that, I've got to read a bunch of stuff on there. They have you know coverage of the English Premier League on there, and so we we you know we picked Chelsea before and going to the Chelsea team page and reading different things about. I'm trying to really really get into uh, soccer more now, so. Anyway, uh, I really I, I watch from afar and see what the athletes doing. I, I, I like what everything they're doing and the content uh, that they produce. So we talk about that transition to the athletic. We talk about what it looks like being on the full time beat of the Mavericks and just building relationships and traveling and everything that consists with that and how he went from writing about the Mavericks all the time from Mavs Moneyball to then writing about the league now back to writing about the Mavs all the time so uh, it's cool talk hearing uh, about Tim's transition and the hard work he put in to get to where he's at now and then we talk about uh, the first initial stages of free agency we talk about what the past few weeks have looked like for him and late nights and June 30th and what the Mavericks were thinking and talking about heading into free agency and we talk about the Miami thing and what happened on June 30th. What happened with Kelly Olenek and Derek Jones Jr. and Dragic and who was saying what? What did Miami think that was going to take place? What did Dallas think that was going to take place in in this deal that on the jump and ESPN was reporting that Dragic was going there and, and Tim Cato himself, he even says, he's like, hey, I'll admit that I reported that too. And I'm like, hey, it's not Tim's fault in this but uh, because there were so many people that were reporting that. So um, we talk about just kind of what happened, what went wrong with that. Then we talk about um, the Kemba Kemba Walker stuff and how much that changed free agency for Dallas. And we've talked about this on this pod before, Nick and I, myself, and of saying, hey, when sometimes you set your plan, you set your goals, and you set your vision on something, and even when you think it's going to happen, a late change in something, you can never predict everything. And the Al Horford opting out, how much did that throw Dallas off? Even with the, quote, tampering and all that stuff, if Dallas was super confident that they were getting Kimball Walker, how did that change everything? And did it change everything for Dallas at those beginning uh, hours and days of free agency? So Tim gives us insight into that, uh, what uh, he was hearing through that, how confident that he had heard Dallas was in those uh, final week or two weeks uh, leading into free agency about their chances of landing Kemba and how, and yeah, and we talked about the Horford stuff and, uh, how was Dallas even involved with that? That was a hot rumor at the time for, I guess, 24 or 48 hours. Was Al Horford an actual Dallas target or not? So we talked about Horford and Dallas, and then we talked about Pat Beverly and everything that happened in that situation. That's actually towards the end of the pod, and he gives us a little bit of insight into that situation that I didn't know uh, heading into that this conversation with Tim, too. And I found it very intriguing of what uh, Tim reports on that situation and that uh, 
um, kind of what uh, transpired with that Beverly relationship and offer and all that stuff. So I, I really liked his insight into the Beverly stuff. So this is part one. Like I said before, uh, part two is tomorrow in which we talk about some of the other stuff that happened, the stuff that actually happened, DeLon Wright and Seth Curry and those guys and the restricted guys. Um, the fan base and how we have a right to be frustrated and disappointed, uh, but also looking at it from a positive view too. And so anyway, part one's today. Hope you enjoy it. Have fun. And then stay tuned tomorrow for the rest of the interview with Tim Cato. All right. So I'm joined with Tim Cato, the man, uh, the myth, the legend from the athletic. We're going to talk all things Mavs. We're going to talk about the off season uh, that kind of just happened. Kind of is still happening but pretty much already happened. Uh, but first I want to talk to Tim real quick off the bat. When I first met Tim a few years ago, it was Tim from Mavs Moneyball, And over the course of the past couple of seasons, it went to all SB nation. And then over the past year, you went from SB nation to the athletic. What has that transition been like for you and in moving into this role as this full-time Mavs beat writer, NBA writer at The Athletic? Yeah, you met me when I was a, uh, I was a baby, a clean-shaven young, young uh, lad trying to find his place in the world. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been a few transitions and a few um, journey, you know, quite, quite the journey to end up where I, where I am now. I mean, I'm 25. I'm not acting like it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, been that long, but, but no, it's, I've been, I've been really lucky and fortunate to, um, to end up on the path I did, you know, when I, when I started writing for Maz Moneyball, um, I think I was in, I was in high school. I was a junior in high school and I was turning into this massive Maz fan and I just wanted somewhere to, to write and let out, you know, all these ideas and opinions I had. And I think I was, I was, uh, I was writing for a, a message board at the time. I was a, I was a message board member, uh, back when, back when those were all the rage and, you know, the early, you know, I guess the, um, you know, like 2007 to 2010 or 2010, you know, that, that was, that was the place that was one of those, uh, you know, those online communities that, that popped up and I was part of that. And I was like, what if I just write slightly longer things for Maz Moneyball? And, you know, from there, you know, I contributed, I ended up running that side. I got on with SB nation. Um, and now I'm with the athletic and it's, uh, it's been fantastic. It's a, it's a really cool company doing really cool things. And, um, it's a, it's an exciting time to be a part of a, a company that's really trying to do a positive thing for, for sports journalism. Um, not, not to, not to make us some, you know, moral superior, you know, superiority or something, but you know, it's, it's a cool experiment. And I think it's something that journalism needed. I, I would say. No. And, and from a, I mean, from a subscriber, I love everything, what the athletic um, is doing right now and the content that y'all are putting out, not just written, but we were talking before about podcasting and all of that. And now that, I mean, I'm just now getting into the English premier league. This has been like a thing on this podcast. We've been I've been trying to pick a team and I, I really want to get into it really bad. And one of my go-tos over this past week is I've been going to the athletic and reading stuff on the English premier league on the athletic. And that's been huge for me. So I know from a consumer standpoint, what I'm getting and what the draw was from that. What was the draw from you when the athletic first contacted you? What was the draw from you saying, man, I want to be a part of that. What was the big draw for you on that? 
Yeah, it, it was, um, it, it was obviously something I had thought about for a while. Um, not even like, even before they've reached out, it was, I, I think that everybody in journalism, we, we had all been talking about the athletic and as, as a, as a concept, as a, is this going to work as a, you know, if they came here, what would happen? I, I did admittedly kind of look around the landscape and, and, you know, months before the athletic reached out to me. And I was like, hey, like I am, you know, one of the Mavs guys that, you know, they might be interested in hiring. What would happen if they came here and offered me? And, you know, it turns out they did. And it turns out, you know, I, I think for a while I I was in a pseudo national gig. You know, I was on a national, uh, you know, national job for SB Nation. But it also had a lot of, um, you know, bloggy elements to it. It wasn't a full time reporter job. Um, so that, uh, you know, part of me was like, I don't want to go back to covering the Mavericks. I had been there and done that. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized, you know, I, I sure Maz Moneyball was a amazing opportunity that I learned so much from. But it was very different from what I'm now doing with the athletic, where I'm fully invested with the team. I'm traveling with them on the road. You know, uh, you know, everyone in the organization knows me because I have the time, you know, I have the time to spend to get to know people and to, you know, go down rabbit holes, you know, and and, you know, build relationships and do stories that I've always wanted to do that are more. Um, you know, focused in on very granular and specific details. And that's always been something I've been interested in. Actually, one of my, some of my favorite stories to write are basically non-basketball stories written in the context of basketball. So writing about how the, the business side, you know, the digital team and the, uh, the, the game operations team set up Dirk's last, uh, his retirement ceremony you know, yes. on his, on his last home game, writing about how that came together. I love doing stuff like that. Um, and, and it's not really about basketball, you know, the, the, the topic is basketball or it's within the basketball sphere, but it's not really about, you know, the X's and O's or, you know, doesn't ever really mention, you know, what Dirk's, you know, it doesn't mention basketball positions or points scored. It just mentions how this thing that's, you know, sports fans, witnessed and consumed, you know, how it happened. And I love doing stuff like that. So the athletic has been really good about letting me, you know, kind of pursue things like that. Um, so I, I would say that's, that's the biggest thing that, that kind of drew me in. And, and, you know, it's, it's been realized ever since I've got there and I've, you know, very, very happy that they've, they've let me, you know, kind of go down the, the wildest rabbit holes that I've, I've, uh, I've attempted to, to go down and, and haven't had any pushback for that. The the Tim Cato rabbit holes are some of my favorite. Well, you you wrote the you wrote that one on the jerseys. I can't remember if that was for the Athletic or SB Nation. Uh, but uh, you, silver ones, those metallic, the metallic yes. ones. Yeah. Yes. That was SB Nation, in like I think September 2017, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, no, great story. Love doing that one. It's those type of stories. Yes, I I love that. That's like your your niche. You you pull out those stories that no one else is uh, writing about, but. Yeah, you you switched from this like national SB Nation role, full time beat writer for. So I have this like kind of annoyance when people throw out the term beat writer because there's only a couple of you guys like beat writer. Like you got to be on the heartbeat of the team. Like you travel with the team, you go to these away games, you're there forever practice and games. And I I have an annoyance of people. Like I'm not a beat writer. Most of these, most of people doing me like they're not, you're not beat writers, but you are. (laughs) So like, and you're ingrained, like in this role now at the athletic, you're ingrained within the organization and going to all this stuff and everybody knows you, you're building these relationships. So what is, What's the best part of your job now? 
And then what is the like least favorite part of your job now? Um, as, as just as an aside, I don't, I don't, I don't really care when people, you know, I, I agree. I, I guess I'm on a different, slightly different, you know, hierarchy just in the sense that I do travel and it's my full-time job, but you know, you're constantly keeping up with this team. You're a beat writer, definitely in some sense, you know, it's a little uh, bit different. Uh, it's yeah, but, it's different though. I want to get like sure. you and like Brad and you know, before Eddie transitioned to Mavs.com, right. like, like that y'all are getting paid full time to just cover the Mavs. So y'all deserve that title. And yeah, but anyway, keep going, keep going. Uh, I would say both the favorite and least favorite part are, uh, the, the, I, I guess the schedule and the travel. Um, I love, I love the travel. I love getting to go to new cities. It's not something my family did a lot growing up. So, you know, I visited LA for the first time last season. I went there three times, but that was, that was my first three times ever in LA. I went to, um, uh, Milwaukee for the first time. Uh, I went to Portland for the first time, a couple times with this job. I went to, uh, Memphis for the first time. I went to New York. I've been to New York a lot. One of my favorite cities, but I went there a couple of times with the job, went to Boston for the first time. Fantastic. I love getting to do that. Uh, when, when, uh, when I can, I kind of schedule my flights carefully and, and, uh, you know, sometimes instead of flying out in a morning, um, on an off day, I'll fly out in the evening and spend some time in that city. It's fantastic. Um, but it also beats you down a little bit. You know, there's times where I'm just like in a hotel room for the, for the uh, fourth time in, in, in a week. And, uh, obviously the, the perks outweigh the, the, the downsides, but, but there are times when I'm just like, man, I kind of miss my bed or I'm up on, uh, on June 30th. Uh, I'm up in until I think 4am that night trying to figure out what happened with that, that botched Miami Dallas trade. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a small price to pay for, for the perks of the job and it being such a cool opportunity. And I almost feel bad complaining about it, but, but you do spend some long nights and some, uh, some wacky travel schedules. And thankfully I've never uh i've never had like a nightmare travel scenario where i've been stuck somewhere like days at a time but you know those it, it can still wear on you and 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 so i'd say that's probably the the biggest downside uh but but it's like i said it's it's a perk and a downside and i think i think the uh the positives definitely outweigh the negatives and uh by no means am i am i really complaining about it so this coming season you're gonna have that trip you're gonna be like snowed in a milwaukee for like three days it's gonna happen it's, it's happening it's gonna happen <laughs> Uh, it hasn't hit me yet to be honest you touched on staying up until four on that july or june 30th day what has this past you know two to three weeks been like for you and covering the mavs and everything of trying to just figure out what happened good and bad over these past three weeks yeah you know it was um all these free agencies you know have a slightly different you know they're, they're essentially the same you know they they kind of move on the same beats but you know the timeline is is stretched out or sometimes it's condensed it felt like this one was like one and two like it kind of happened in two waves obviously there's june 30th that first night where you know it felt like 75 percent of the league changed or removed or signed or did something you know it wasn't quite that many of course but you know it felt like there was just many many things happened and then the second wave was Kawhi and Kawhi making his decision um so so it kind of felt like this one was a one-two punch whereas sometimes they're drawn out um it was funny looking back last season um pretty much the, the Mavericks were done on July 1st. They had made all their moves. They had got Andre Jordan. Um, but then you go look back a few seasons before that. And it's like the 
the Chandler Parsons stuff. Like I, I think that drew out until the July 10th. So it's, it's interesting just seeing the, the timelines of how the free agency can be compressed or, or decompressed and, and can happen in an instant or can happen over the course of a week. Um, so this one was definitely, um, you know, start, started, stopped, started again, and then it was over and, uh, relatively quick by all standards. And, uh, though it was kind of weird being in Vegas, um, because I go to Vegas, it was my fourth, I think fourth straight year out there. It was kind of weird having free agency even drag out to that because usually free age, uh, usually Vegas starts a little bit later. Um, so it felt like I was barely even tuned in the first few days of Vegas because I was still wrapping up the, the Daylon Wright signing and Boban and, and, you know, every, everything else that was kind of involved with that. Boban. Um, all right. So I, I, I want to touch on some of these specific player names and targets, but I, I actually want to start now. I'm just going off what you were saying a little bit ago about the Miami trade. Walk us through what, like what happened? How did that Jimmy Butler commits to Miami? They have to shed some salary. How, how close was that to happening what all, because at one point we thought Dragic was coming here. We had, I feel like a 20 minute span where Mavs Twitter and fans were like, cool. Like we get Luca's like big brother mentor. This is fun. Luke will be happy, blah, blah, blah. And then it was gone. And then we we're getting Kelly Olenek. And then I was about to riot because I'm like, why are we getting Kelly Olenek? And what, what all happened that night with that deal? Yeah. Yeah. I, I still can't even pretend like I, I, uh, precisely know what went down, um, to my best understanding. Um, I, I would say that like, like I'll, I'll own it. I was, it was reported, you know, I reported, I tweeted that, that, uh, that Goran Dragic was coming here. I, and, and about 30 minutes later, 45 minutes later, you know, started coming out a mouse person texted me that I was, you know, texting with. And he was like, uh, I don't, you know, I thought we were getting someone else is what he texted me. And I was like, aha, funny. That's funny. And he was like, no, wait, I'm being serious because I, you know, Miami was convinced that they, that the deal was done and that they were sending Goron. So it was just a bizarre miscommunication. You know, I, I think every scenario had been talked about. That's, that's one thing that people don't realize in this um, you know, fans might not realize that front offices talk about everybody and everything. Um, so there's no doubt that both scenarios were discussed by both front offices back and forth to each other. Um, but but I guess they kind of came to some miscommunication about, oh, uh, you know, like the Goron one was maybe hypothetical on one end. And for Dallas, they were convinced that they were getting the uh, the Olenek, um, uh Jones uh you know, discussion or the, the, the Linux Jones pairing, whereas, um, you know, the Goron one was maybe more hypothetical and, and I guess Miami would thought vice versa. Um, obviously Miami figured it out. They just needed to clear cap space. Dallas was more of a means to an end than anything else. Um, and for Dallas, like I, I understood why, you know, I also, I, I actually thought that the, the Linux and Jones thing made some sense. Um, obviously Olenek is paid a little bit too much, but he's a, he's an actually like, he's a legitimately good player, uh, both ways. Really. He's, he's a surprisingly solid defensive player, um, stretches the floor offensively. He's paid too much, but he's only signed for two years. And I think two years is the window that the Mavs keep looking at, you know, two years out, two years out, 2021 free or 2021 free agency is, is the one that they're looking at. So, um, as long as you only grab a two-year contract, uh, you know, it's okay if it's a little bit overpaid because it's going to be expiring when you need it to be expiring. Um, so I was fine with Olenek. They're a little bit light, 
at, at big man still. Um, it's still not clear to me whether they're just going to go into the season uh, looking like this or, or have some emergency big man lined up. Uh, but but I, I thought Olenek made sense for that reason. I think Jones Luasa would be the best wing on this team right away. Uh, underrated, you know, really, really good underrated defender and, and all right as an offensive player, you know, probably on par with someone like Justin Jackson, uh, but but better defensively. So so I got the reasoning for a trade like that. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of mass fans still don't get it and that's fine. You know, it didn't go, go through. I don't think we need to legislate it forever. Um, but, but it was, it was a, as best as I understand it, just a miscommunication. And, um, it's, it sounds weird that, uh, two NBA front offices would do that, but you also have to think about, you know, that June 30th, how hectic everything was for six hours. You know, uh, I know Donnie and, and Mark, to my understanding, had taken Chris steps to dinner. Um, you know, that's, that's relationship building. I don't blame them for doing that. It doesn't mean that they weren't on their phones navigating or, or, you know, staying in touch with everything that was happening or that there weren't capable people back in Dallas, you know, running the show. Uh, but, but, you know, that was kind of my understanding. So everything broke down for a second and then, uh, and then it ended up working out. Um, so I don't know. I I feel like I kind of bumbled around what happened there because I I, I don't have a clear exact definite answer for you. Uh, but but yeah, I, I guess I guess that's the uh, that's that's as much as I can say knowledgeably without, uh, you know, just really going off the deep end and speculating at what might have gone down. No, I'm glad you gave that perspective of it because I hadn't heard a good uh, explanation of like that positives about it. Because, a good one, to be fair. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I, I just kind of looked at him like, man, he, I just didn't understand if like we wasn't going to pick and uh, how the league kind of viewed Derek Jones Jr. as far as more of a dunking guy, like wh- right. how much can he develop? And so that, that whole thing back and forth, I was like, man, I just, I didn't fully understand it, but I'm glad I got your perspective on that. Yeah. And, and there, but, may yeah. have been, there may have been a pick involved there too. Obviously like, it got shut down so quickly that that maybe Dallas believed there would be a pick involved. Obviously, the I, I can say that the information I was getting wasn't from Dallas. It was, you know, once I started hearing from Dallas that it wasn't going down, you know, that's, you know, maybe yeah. on their side they thought there there would be a, would have been a pick involved and, and there would have been more to it. I, I don't know for certain. So, um, and it was more than you. Know, like, it was more than you that – that was reporting it. I mean, it was them on ESPN. So it wasn't just like you owning that of like, I was wrong. Like there was a ton of people that said, we were all hearing from Miami that it was a done deal. And Goran was coming to Dallas. So from Miami, from national, you know, wherever we were hearing, you know, there, there was reputable people out there saying it was a done deal. And yeah, you know, I, like I said, I'll own it because I'm a reporter and I reported it, but yeah, it wasn't just me as well. You know, it was, it was not just one source. I was misinformed on my end. It was, uh, Probably I saw half a dozen beat writers kind of send it out. A lot of the Miami guys sent it out as well. I think Townsend had it. it. This is not to even share blame. It's just to point out that, you know, Miami was certain this was done. And yeah. to prove that, you know, look at all the people who were who were kind of reporting it that way. Yeah. Okay, okay, let's shift to another guard because I think this is the arguably the biggest story for the Mavs of how things shifted and a lot of the fan base super frustrated because these expectations were set and then bam, it looks a little bit, a little bit different than what maybe fans were expecting. And I think it all evolves around this Kimball Walker scenario and the Al Horford opting out. You've seen Mark Cuban talk about on Sirius XM and how the Horford opting out, like no one really expected that and how that kind of threw everything off I know that air quote tampering uh, can't take place, but let's just say confidence meter. 
How confident would you say Dallas was before the Horford opting out news dropped? How confident do you think Dallas was of landing Kimball Walker on that July or June 30th date? And how did that, how did Horford opting out just change everything? They, they thought they had Kimba signed. They, they were, they were pretty certain that Kimba was coming to Dallas. Um, I can't speak for Kimba's side, but Dallas was, you know, just about certain that Kimba was coming here. And can you blame him? Like the perfect situation, the one situation that really made sense for him. Um, and I think Boston was almost like, you know, if you create a situation that made sense for Kimba, you know, uh, you know, just like create it out of thin air, like Boston pretty much fit that scenario. So he stayed in the East. He stayed on the East coast. He stayed, you know, he went to a team that was, a, you know, deep in the playoffs last year, at least the, the, the conference semifinals. Um, they had a, you know, gap size, you know, just a perfect hole, uh, created for him, uh, at point guard with, with Kyrie leaving. These are very similar point guards. I'd actually take Kimba out of the two, I think. Um, although, you know, that's, that's kind of a one you can debate. So the perfect scenario opened up for him and Dallas went from thinking they had Kimba almost certainly coming here from realizing, Oh shoot, you know, clearly, you know, Boston's going to make more sense for him. And he's now leaning that way and, you know, tampering or not, they, they knew with certainty a few days before, um, free agency opened up that, that he would be headed there or, or would almost certainly be headed there. So, um, yeah, that changed everything. And, and it wasn't something they expected either. They, they were not expecting the Horford thing. Um, most people around the league, I don't think we're expecting that. Um, and it wasn't just Horford opting out. Horford opted out, which I think was a surprise. And then Boston brought him an extension offer, a, a contract offer. And basically what I heard is that he kind of laughed it off. I, I don't, I don't know the exact number. It was less than what Philly offered him. I, I don't think, I think, um, Philly offered a fourth year, which isn't totally guaranteed. Um, but Philly was willing to offer a third year or a fourth year. Boston was only willing to do three years. And I think had a little bit less money than Philly was. Um, and, and Horford had his knew that Philly offer was out there. and was like, ha, no, I'm, I'm not going to take this, this offer from you guys, the Celtics, because I literally know there's a better offer out there for me. So that changed everything in a heartbeat. Um, I wonder if there's any careful cap maneuvering that Boston could have done to, to, try to get uh, try to get Kimba. Um, I, I think they would have been pretty locked in, but it would have been interesting to see that once they got the Horford thing done and was like, all right, he's coming back. Maybe they would have found a way to somehow get uh, Kimba there as well. Um, seems unlikely, but, but I, I haven't looked at the cap sheet necessarily to see if that would have been possible. Um, but anyway, the, 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 that's, that's like really the only chance that I think Dallas would have thought that Kimba wasn't coming to them. So um, with the, with the Al Horford stuff, I know there, it felt like for like a 24 to 48 hour thing, it was, man, Dallas could be that team. Uh, and it obviously it turned out to be Philly, but was it, did Dallas poke around in that? Did you, what was your feeling on, or was your feeling all along? Like, no, Mavs ain't in on Horford at all. I, I never got a good read, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, like in some ways I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's the weird thing. It's the weird thing about having a two-star duo that is so uh, flexible and so um, uh, just easy to build around in Luca and Porzingis is that you could put almost any player next to them and it would fit to some degree. And under the right circumstances, I think um, Horford could have fit here, but I don't think he was the perfect fit. I think he was obviously older than their timeline. I understand the argument that you should just go sign good players 
and that talent brings in more talent essentially like it's hard to get high in talent but once you have it it's easier to obtain it in, in weird ways and you know make a Horford trade maybe in, in two years or something like that um, that said I, I never got the sense that, that Dallas was like a serious bidder for them or for Horford or anything like that so transitioning to another vet player but back to a guard spot Patrick Beverly was a name thrown it thrown out there for a long time and Dallas connection to him, Bill Duffy, same age as Luca, everything, his fit next to Luca. And then a lot of and myself included, I'm like, man, I, if I had to pick one free agent for them, like two weeks out from free agency and a lot of questions like, Hey, throwing out the pot of who, who's one guy you think that you're the most confident in that's not on the team. And I'm like, Pat, Pat Beverly. And then leading right up into free agency and then nothing happened. And then what was that just all, I don't want to use the smoke uh, analogy like Frank Nellikina, but was there, uh, <laughs> was there anything to that? And how, how quickly did they think that he was going back to the Clippers? Yeah. What was that situation? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's obviously interest. I think, I think, you know, right now a bunch of Mavs fans, or sorry, a bunch of people in the Mavs front office um, are still big fans of his. But um, basically, what I heard is is that the the guy on top was never sold um, on it on it fully. That even even Rick Carlisle, who had like weird things with Beverly in the past, was uh, was was totally on board. But um, I, I think Dallas purposefully did not offer Beverly um, on on the on the first night. I, I don't know if that that if if Beverly had remained a free agent, whether they might have come around to it and ended up offering him. But but I know that they it wasn't a mistake that they just forgot to reach out to him on day one or something like that. It's that they they were not convinced on on the on the full package of, of Beverly. Um, you know, some some people were some people loved him, um, but but there is enough people um, and and specifically you know the, the the guy on top was was not convinced in Beverly that uh, that they they kind of decided that 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 wasn't the 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 thing they were going to pursue. So. Dang. I think that's so okay. Yeah. So so they never fully came in with an offer. So in my mindset, yeah. I'm like, oh, that maybe they got wind that he was just wanting to go back to the Clippers all along. So yeah. So you're saying Dallas bowed out before he even decided on the Clippers? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I heard. Or maybe not even like like they just they just didn't offer him, and the, and the Clippers did. And and like I said, maybe they would have come around to it, and in the days following had. Had uh, had the Clippers not come, you know, come with an offer so soon, or if Beverly had been, you know, more non-committal, but Beverly wasn't. He he got the offer from the Clippers, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm going to take this." And and at the no, he hadn't heard anything from from Dallas, and I it, I don't think it was a mistake. He he wasn't like, "Hey, let me wait for this Dallas offer." Um, there as of that first night, I I, I don't think there was one coming. Um, and and maybe one would have materialized as as Dallas kind of missed out on other free agents had had Beverly waited. But Beverly's not that type of guy. Like he's definitely a guy who who wants to be wanted and, and wants to to you know you know uh, he's not going to wait around and like like dilly dally and, and be like well you know this might happen. Like he doesn't seem like that type of guy to me. So I think he got an offer that he liked. He wanted. He liked being with Los Angeles. As it turned out, they they signed Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George. So I think he made the right decision and. Uh, and Dallas was never fully fully sold on it. So um, he seems like the think... player that will uh, let Cuban and uh, the team know about it when he comes to town too on the court. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he uh, he certainly might. 
This concludes part one of my chat with Tim Cato from The Athletic. Uh, Stay tuned to tomorrow, and uh, part two will drop tomorrow uh, at Locked on Mavs. We'll talk the rest of free agency. We'll talk about DeLon Wright, Seth Curry, uh, the rest of the Dallas uh, moves over the past couple weeks. We'll also talk about Summer League and uh, some of his thoughts from Vegas uh, on what happens with these final roster spots and what Dallas does with that 15th roster spot and Josh Reeves and Uh, kind of the expectations going into the season of playoffs and what this new duo and Porzingis and Luka looks like and the expectation for Luka coming into camp and the shape uh, that he could be in and what uh, Dallas and the fan base will expect from Luka uh, this coming season. So stay tuned for part two tomorrow. Peace out. Boom.